Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Welcome, everybody. There are about, you know, 70 or so people coming up into the room. I'm loving these numbers. Uh, shout out to everybody that's joining us today. We know that Friday is one of those days where you struggle to get extra done, a little extra done. Change your chat settings down to everyone in the bottom right and let me and John Coons know where you're tuning in from in the chat. Uh, and if you're feeling frisky, let us know what your plans are this weekend. That's what I want to see right now. Where are you coming in from? Shout out to Minneapolis. You are first. Brasilia, what's happening? I see you. Uh, Boise, Idaho. What is happening in Boise? Frisco, Texas in the Q&A. Make sure you drop in where you're from in the chat. Thank you very much. Questions do belong in the Q&A, though, and we want you to ask those questions. We're going to get to that stuff. Uh, let me kick things off here since everybody's kind of coming into the room and I'm starting to see a little bit of traction here on a Friday. Uh, so let me show you what you guys are here to get. We're here to talk about driving urgency. We have a limited amount of time here, and this man in the room with me is a genius. So get your pens and papers out. You're going to get the recording. John Coons from Gong is here. This man is a wealth of knowledge, and there is a ton of stuff that he's going to share with you today. So be ready for that. I'm your host, James Say What Sales Buckley. Welcome back to Sell Better by JB Sales. If you guys are not familiar already, scan this QR code on your screen before we kick things off and check out the upcoming daily show. We are here every single day delivering sales value to help you sell better. Also, grab some additional resources from our website, sellbetter.xyz. I want to give a big thanks to Gong. What's going on? These people have been in our back corner, backing our plays for years, and we're pleased to be working with them. And we're going to drop something that we worked hard to put together for you with Gong, 50 real CTAs that you can start using right away. Check it out in the chat right now. Just got dropped in there from Sell Better. Thank you very much for dropping that. Go get those CTAs and stop asking the same damn questions over and over. People get pissed off about that stuff. Let me tell you a little bit about what you're going to get today. But before I do, I'm going to tell you guys, I always do this, who's in the room with us. I'm expecting a lot of account executives because those are the folks that typically want to drive some urgency. It's off to an early lead, account executives. <laughs> You're going to get some closing data and what you can learn from past closing data. You're also going to get how you're going to guide people through the buying process, key milestones. This is stuff that John's going to talk about, and then he's going to give you some magic language that actually does keep that momentum when you create, sorry, when you uncover and then drive that urgency. So John, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. What is the definition of urgency? How do you define it? Thank you, James. Uh, I am absolutely thrilled to be here. Um, I, I think... A good start is, yeah, list of mine urgency. Let's align on what that means. Um, first and foremost, this is not a mode that we step into. It's an advantage that we gain and we can leverage by investing in, you know, excellent sales practices as early as possible in our relationship. It's, it's again, it's not a flip, a flip of a switch. It's, it's something that we, we create for ourselves across many different areas. And I think, you know, it's almost impossible, as you say, to create or manufacture urgency in any meaningful way. You can't really do this in reverse order either. Um, you can't all of a sudden clean up your deal and invest in all the relationships and try to move fast when you know you haven't invested in that work up front. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're it shows up in a number of areas. I think you, you think about this like you would any sort of preparation for you know, I'm using like a sports analogy, like a marathon or a mountain climb. There's so many different variables to a deal that you really need to understand those things to under to to really you know be able to calculate where can I press on to develop urgency? And, you know, this isn't necessarily about like offering a discount and trying to get people to work on a compressed timeline. I think there's a time and a place for that. 
And obviously it makes sense in, in a lot of situations, but that's not exactly what we're talking about today. Um, you know, if you, I, I want to think about this almost like climbing a mountain, like summoning a mountain, you know what I mean? Like if the, if the deal is summoning a mountain and the seller is the climber in this example, uh, any pro mountain climber is going to absolutely obsess over all of the variables in the climb, you know, the weather, the gear, the route, the obstacles, and way, way more. Now, if you're a climber and you've got yourself in really good shape, you've communicated the plan and the goal with your team, you've talked about contingencies, you know, when it comes to, comes to acting with urgency, you're dialed in, you can actually do that successfully. But imagine on a climb, if you really didn't manage all the variables well, and all of a sudden halfway up the mountain, there's this huge shift in the weather and you got to move, things can get really dicey really quick, right? Same thing in a deal. You have to invest in understanding all of the variables so that when that time comes, you have a lot of freedom and flexibility to exercise that urgency. That's great. And you talked about the layers of urgency. So here we go. No surprises for me. I called it. Shout out to me because I called it. Shout out to me from myself. AE's in the room, heavy right now. Now, when you talk about leveraging urgency now keep in mind thank you to the sdrs and the leadership coming in the room this is all stuff that you can take away right away uh and give to your team right you talked about these layers of urgency so we're going to break some of these down there's a big list here again we have a lot to cover today you're going to get a lot of value from this don't worry you guys will all get the recording uh, i see you larry you'll get that qr code here in just a second give me a second uh talk about some of these layers break them down the ones that stand out most to you that could help these folks that are in the room today to keep that momentum going john yeah, absolutely. So a couple of like universal truths, I think about urgency, just timing in a deal. So let's, let's be very clear on one thing. Influencing timing in any deal is always an uphill fight. It's never easy and there is no cheat code. Both sides have to really share in that urgency for it to work. You know, CSO insights tells us that 53% of committed deals don't close as forecasted, which may be another way of saying that urgency around, you know, timing that a seller acts under is mostly one-sided. So as we go through this list, there's, there's a number of areas in which you could identify variables to help with urgency. And I think discovery is probably the biggest one. When we think about discovery, what you're doing there is you're trying to ask a series of questions and oftentimes in order that allow you to understand the problem that you're solving and the pain that's implicated around that problem across the different departments that touch, you know, either the problem or the solution that addresses it. And I think that, you know, for instance, at Gong, if we find out that there's a, a, a true compelling event and to define a compelling event, I mean, this is something that is mutually shared as a moment in time in which there's this kind of this before and after moment that has to do with the problem that you're solving. If you, at Gong, if we identify a compelling event in our process, we have to understand how does that compelling event, the before and the after moment, how does it affect all of the people that are involved? How does that affect you know, the, the validity of the problem, uh, how that problem, you know, impacts financials, how it impacts productivity. Uh, I would also say too, that, you know, as we think about different levers of being able to drive urgency, multi-threading is usually a byproduct of us really understanding how that problem affects multiple different people across the deal. So that's why we talk about multi-threading in sales all the time. It's just not about getting a lot of people to like you. It's about understanding how are these different change agents who are involved, how are they contributing to the solution of the problem? How does it affect them? How does it implicate them? And that's that's one of the most important things that we can do just as a best practice. And I would also say that you know a lot of this, if you look at number four, a lot of this is predicated on this idea that you you understand your milestones. 
So your deal process, your, your selling framework, everything that you're doing in your company to kind of put some shape around your deal, you have to really know what that boils down to in terms of the most important steps across the deal cycle. And that allows us to lead a buyer down a path. So this is not manipulative. It's far more elegant than that. But this is around being able to, to validate with your champion, your buyer, your sponsor, hey, do you agree that we're in this evaluation together and we're at this stage? And you also agree that we're both trying to move to this end goal. Okay, so then let's align on the several things that must happen and who and how those things must happen with in order to get there. If, you, if you're kind of flying blind a little bit, you're trying to kind of be more reactive, it's a lot more harder to do this. I, I like where your brain is and I want to launch this question right now and I kind of want to hover over a very specific piece of this before we move on and that's the compelling or the critical event. Uh, a lot of people hear it in different ways. Compelling event, critical event, they mean the same thing. So I'm asking the audience right now the question of what do you tie your value to? Let, let's really get into that compelling event for just a moment. Uh, you know, you gave some some really specific things to check the alignment, right? Or do you agree that we're at this stage? Uh, but you can't get to one without the other. And one of the things that you said to me that stood out was that you can't do it backwards. There's a state, there's a series of steps that has to take place if you're going to continue to drive urgency. So uh, that compelling event, let's let's get into that. Uh, how do you use that compelling event through a deal cycle and constantly bring it to the forefront of the conversation to hold them accountable for it? Yeah, yeah, it, it's really difficult. And I'll, I'll also say too that, you know, holding holding buyers accountable almost implies like this holding their feet to the fire image. We're saying like, hey, you said you would do this by this date. And look, I mean, again, when things start to feel unnatural, when you're trying to control timeline, it's usually an indication that we, we didn't really understand all the variables in the first place. So here's an example, a compelling event at Gong. Uh, just, you know, quickly for those in the room that may not be as familiar at Gong, we, we analyze recorded interactions with customers and we give the company insight on how their go-to-market strategy and their sales execution is working, right? So a comp common compelling event in our world is a sales methodology launch or, you know, even a product launch. So there's this before and after moment that, you know, if you launch something that's really important in terms of execution without the visibility Gong provides, there's a, you know, that the value of that initiative and the success of that initiative can be eroded. And when we think about compelling events and using it, this really has to be shared by the company and the vendor in this case. So for a compelling event to really be rallied around, I think when, when you, when you identify something that's not a, you know, contract signature date, that's not really a compelling event. The compelling event is the problem that you're solving. Ah. That's the most important thing. So if, if we're trying to help somebody lift their win rates, or we're trying to help an, uh, an organization launch a, a methodology, maybe the last one that they launched didn't go so well, you know, the compelling event is what happens when this goes well, or when it doesn't go well, it's not you and me getting the contract signed. That's just probably the, the halfway marker. The real work begins moving that customer towards the goal that they, they originally signed on with you for. Which happens after they sign the deal. Look at these results right here. I think this is interesting. Most people are tying their value to the results and the outcomes. We feel, and I think John will agree, tying it to a critical or a compelling event might change the urgency level that your prospects are feeling as you move them through the deal. Uh, so I really do appreciate everybody taking a part in that one. Uh, I, you gave a really good analogy here, and I want to hover on some of the points. You talked about the mountain climbing analogy. 
break these points down and talk about that mountain climber one more time, how they spend energy, the way that they try to kick things in at the end. This was a great analogy for me when you said it. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think when I'm thinking about the analogy, right, it's it, number one, no individual person really climbs a mountain. There's always a team of people behind them. There's there's people that are, are helping with the gear, the, the, the map, the weather, uh, alternate routes, right? So that's that's kind of how we're operating in sales too. We have all these resources around us. And so when we start to look at an account, we start to have a develop a point of view around what that account is going to be able to do with your solution. Then when we're thinking of this, this summoning act uh, kind of as a deal, any pro mountain climber or really any pro athlete or anybody who's professional what they're doing, right? Before they set off on the, the, the exercise, the race, the climb, they're trying to understand every single variable. And the point of doing that is not so that you you can figure out how do we get to the top of the mountain in the fastest possible way. Look, it's our job as AEs to move fast, right? Yeah. But we're, we're never really in full control of timing the way we're never really as a climber in full control of the weather. We're doing all of that work so that we put ourselves in the best position to succeed. Now, so this is what we have to accept as sellers. And by the way, sales managers too, we have to accept that we can never truly wrap our arms around and fully control timing. The point of doing all of this upfront work and doing really powerful discovery, being prescriptive around your process, uh, sometimes managing tension in a healthy way, all of that is in the service of being able to be fluid and agile when the moment comes to do so. So what I said earlier, which is if you don't invest in those practices early on in your climb, i.e. your deal cycle, and then all of a sudden you have a massive bombshell, maybe your key decision maker leaves, maybe there's budget cuts, layoffs, et cetera. I mean, these are real things that are going on right now. You must have done those that those investments early on to put yourself in a position to be agile, to move to the next stakeholder, to you know accelerate timing, to lean on legal. There's a number of things you're going to want to do in that moment. If you haven't done that prep work, that's when urgency feels really one-sided for the buyer and feels really unnatural. This makes me want to add something to that urgency. We say that it has to be uncovered and then driven. I'm going to tell you something else that's just coming to me now. It also has to be earned. We have to earn that sense of urgency early in our climb or our sales deal. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some data because this data that Gong recently released is really interesting to me. It recently reported, for example, there's a drop in the number of calls needed to close a deal cycle. What does this mean for sellers that are working urgency in their deals? Yeah, I, I love this this webinar that Dan Moore Jay Z on our team did. Um, and actually, at first glance, this might off this might look really encouraging, right? Oh, less meetings and less calls in a deal. That's great, right? Well, actually, what this is telling us is that across a deal cycle, we're gonna have fewer opportunities, fewer meetings and interactions with the stakeholder group. And that's alarming. So I think another way to kind of think about this is that we're going to earn, to use your words here, we're going to earn fewer meetings across the deal cycle. And in fact, in the same webinar, Dan calls out that our deal cycles in 2023 are going to take about 15 to 20% longer. <clears throat> so what does that tell us? That tells us we have to do more with less. We have to become rapidly more efficient. And so if we know the number one calls are getting shorter, we're also having fewer calls. We have to be ready to equip the people in those meetings once we've earned their trust and we've We've implicated, you know, the solution and how it solves their pain. We have to be prepared to pass on to them the data and the narrative that allows them to go and mobilize people internally. 
So if we're not doing those things, we're going to be at the mercy of some of these, you know, really frightening statistics around the way the deals drop off, like that 53% that I called out earlier. Uh, does that make sense? It does. I know it absolutely makes sense. Uh, I want to, I want to ask this question to everybody in the room here. Have you noticed yourself that deals have been closing faster? Uh, have you, have you even thought about this? Is something you've noticed? Is it something that's, you know, you're just now thinking like, oh, this is right. Like I, I didn't even notice it. Uh, also, one of the pieces that Gong reported was that SMB and mid-market deals are closing at a much faster rate than enterprise deals. You and I had some theories about why this is. Uh, put a one in the chat if you sell SMB and mid-market. Put a two in the chat if you sell enterprise. I want to know from everybody in the room in the chat right now which one you are. Uh, John, what is this true? Uh, what what does the data suggest? What's our what's our theories about this? I, I think yeah, I, I think naturally and innately, let's let's kind of uh, align on what the demarcation is between mid-market enterprise deals. Usually, I mean, that there's a bigger purchase, there's more stakeholders involved. I think that second one is probably the biggest one, right? Probably. And with naturally with any smaller deal, smaller company that you're selling to, may not necessarily be a small deal, but there's better access to leadership. There's fewer walls in between you and the people that ultimately make the decisions. So I think that, uh, that that's probably a contributing factor. But I think you also mentioned something really profound as well, which is when you have a smaller stakeholder committee, and this is the case even in some enterprise deals, but when you have a smaller stakeholder committee, that committee really feels the urgency and the pain as a group, right? If you think about the, the level of enterprise sellers and strategic sellers, we oftentimes have a committee for every single department that's involved somehow in the deal, right? And they may not all feel that urgency in the same way. Again, which is why multi-threading and understanding the business implications behind your solution is so critical. If you don't know that, you can't go to the IT department it doesn't care about the go-to-market lift that your technology is going to provide. They just care about the delivery schedule and the sprint schedule. But if we figure out a way that that, that solution impacts them, we're in a better position to help that department drive urgency as well. So there's think, a lot uh, to be said for driving urgency across departments too. I mean, you're, you're literally attaching yourself to the value per department, right? You're dealing with lots of different agendas there. Uh, check this, some of this data out right here. It looks like most of the people that voted, 84% of the people that voted said they haven't even noticed that the deals are closing faster. I would encourage you all to go back to last year and the year before and look at how many calls it took to close those deals that you closed one and look at this year's deals and compare the two. And you're probably going to notice that it's been a lot less on you to close those deals. Compare and contrast the data, which goes back to our original point of what you can learn from past data. Uh, okay, John, the duration of the calls is actually shortening as well. This is the last piece of the puzzle that Gong uncovered in their recent dig, their recent webinar that was shared. Uh, why do you think this is? Is this because there's, uh, you know, less less decision makers in the conversation these days? Uh, there, you know, you talked about the macroeconomic environment. What, what do you mean when you say macroeconomic environment? Yeah, that's a that's a great call out. So, I, I think towards the end of 2022, we really started to feel it and there are less decision makers in the deal cycle, but it's not necessarily to mean that there's less people. I think that when, you know, when the economy started to look the way it looks now, what happened was that everybody that we typically sell to, uh, wh whoever the, you know, that the executive or the, the line of business leader is in the department that you sell to, um, in the group that you sell to, usually those people, you know, up until about 2022, they were able to make decisions within their team and within their budget. And I think when the economy goes south, those, all of those people become de facto recommenders. And when I mean recommender, I'm talking about the, the rapid decision-making matrix. So for those of you that are looking at this, this is actually, um, this is a really interesting way to figure out how companies make decisions. 
it was actually intended, you know, early on as like an organizational psychology tool, but we see a massive application in it for sales because everybody involved in buying a solution usually occupies one of these roles or components. Now for most, except for the decision, there could be multiple people in the roles. And sometimes one person can have two roles, but there's usually only one decision maker. So back to the macro, all of these decision makers, CROs, CTOs, CMOs, all of these people now are recommenders or approvers to the CFO. And in a macro economy where the, the metrics around productivity are the most important things for that CFO to wrap their arms around, when we go and prescribe our process and ultimately a solution, we have to be speaking in that language or, or allow our, our champion the data and the narratives that they can sell internally to the framework that the CFO is trying to achieve. I mean, think about what a CFO is doing right now. They're, they're uh, experiencing unprecedented churn. They're experiencing a lot of customer accounts, maybe thinking about going elsewhere, downgrading with them. And they're rapidly trying to, you know, to, to plug the leaky holes in the boat. You have to make sure that your solution addresses some of those leaky holes and pull on those levers because the people you usually went to, to drive a decision through. I think that their ability is a little bit lessened in today's macroeconomy. Yeah, I think they're being stifled by financial decision makers, controllers, CFOs, because spending is all, you know, on a big, you know, lots of unknowns in the space right now. So financial wise, a lot of these decision makers are being halted. Uh, you said something that caught my attention when we discussed this topic originally, and you said we have to realize the difference between when we need to be in selling mode and when we, the sellers, need to be in buying mode and there are signals. Talk to me about this because I absolutely loved the way you framed this for the urgency. Yeah. And I, I'm 12 years, 12 years into my selling career and I learn new lessons every day. This is one of the reasons why I love being in sales. So this came from a, a mentor and a friend of mine, Dan Floyd here at Gong. And part this, this came to me kind of in a, in a conversation when he's saying like, Hey, John, there's all these signals, like, but you're still selling. So when I'm talking about this, especially as we're trying to drive urgency, there's usually, you know, I mean, think about going in a sales cycle, almost yeah. all the time you're positioning value. You're trying to get people to see the, the forest through the trees. You're, you're getting people excited about this solution. And at some point during all of that, you start to, if you're paying attention, you start to see signals. They start asking questions like, what does this take to implement? Who do we need on our end to deliver this or to, to, you know, to do these inputs? What is the cost? What's the time to value? There's, there's a lot of other ones. So those are just some examples where somebody's starting to get into, okay, I really like this solution. How do I get it? And as sellers, it is our job here to transition from value mode and selling mode to buying mode. And that's when you get to need to get really laser focused and prescriptive to be able to say, okay, here are the things that I can see we haven't addressed yet are going to be really important. This is so important too. If you know there are typical blockers or obstacles that your solution typically faces, you need to equip those people with, uh, with data and kind of steps to overcome those things. You don't want to wait until, you know, you're hitting a wall and then you're like, oh yeah, this is, this is typically something we run into. We got to rally all these security people or all these legal people around this timing now. And again, yeah. those different departments are going to start to feel really uh, frustrated by the urgency that everybody around them is, is occupying when they don't really get it. This, uh, this is different than what we might think because a seller never imagines that they need to recognize a switch into buyer mode. But let me tell you that that is the signal that it's time to put, as John would say, your urgency hat on. When they get into buying mode and you get into buying mode, 
This is where you can attach a level of urgency to the conversation. Five minutes left in the game right now, and this is where we're going to give you some actionable stuff right here. So here we go right here. There are three ways that John has given us that we can use to guide our executives through their buying process, their buying cycle. John, break these three ways down, and then we talk about the actions that people can take to get there. Yeah. So first and foremost, for, for those of us in the line that are at ease, I think that this is a conversation that needs to happen with your champion. Ideally, your champion is somebody who has some, some element of decision-making authority or is highly influential. Uh, best case scenario, you're, you're actually talking about this with an executive sponsor. So when you start to, to glean from the conversation and other signals that they're starting to re be ready to buy, you need to tell them and be very prescriptive. Okay, here's where we are in the process and here are the things that we need to do. And I actually, I shared a link earlier uh, that points to uh, Chris Orlov, who I think is arguably one of the best sales coaches and uh, just theorists in the game today. Uh, Chris is an, an amazing resource. And so I'd encourage everybody to go and look at his page but he actually has a post that talks about the sequencing of questions to tell people and also reveal mutually what are the steps needed to close this deal. So in those moments, number one is here are the things that we need to do. Can you help me understand who are the people involved with these steps? How are they going to receive this approach, et cetera? Number two, I, I think this is, again, this is predicated on all your investment in good sales practices early on. Hey, if we, if we don't have these steps completed, or if we decide to put this step in the back order for some reason, we're going to miss the timeline on solving this problem, especially in enterprise deals, folks, where there's so many different parallel tracks working at the same time. Uh, if you get a, a hurdle that can impact timing for everything else. So I think it's important to, uh, to vocalize timeline and what we're going to miss unless we mutually solve this problem on this timeline together. And I think this is an incredibly important one on number three. This is probably a good rule of thumb anytime you're engaging with an executive, but that executive must know why you're approaching them and why only they have the ability to solve the challenge or escalate the, uh, you know, the hurdle in a way that that's meaningful towards the deal. Any good leader is going to come back and say like, Hey, why didn't you go to my team on this? Um, I usually delegate these things. So it's so important to, to make sure that when you're going to that executive sponsor, and you're using that person for escalation, that it's very clear why only they can solve that problem in the deal. The only they part is so attractive to me because I feel like it also makes the executive feel like this is on me. It's my responsibility. So how do we get here? These are three quick ways. We have three minutes left and I want to make sure everybody knows where they can follow you. So go ahead and break these three actions down that everyone can start taking right now. Anybody can do this. Yeah, I'll try to be super quick. I know we got, you know, uh, not very much time. So uh, Sarah Brazier and I have talked about this at a long, long time. Uh, the call between the call. So what this is, is when you're getting an important meeting, it's important, number one, call your champion. Say, hey, how do we make this a success? Who are the people in the room? What matters to them? All right, what, what reaction are we trying to glean together? Make that collaborative. And then two, once you understand who's in the room, try and single thread all those people. Give them a call, shoot them an email. Hey, what is important to you in this meeting? How can I inspire you to take action before you get there? That is going to set you up for driver urgency. So I've seen a lot of things in the chat about MSPs. Totally agree. Here's one, you know, here's one hot kind of hot take on MSPs that I think a lot of people are doing wrong. Don't bring it up at the end of the deal. You should start using an MSP early as possible. I actually teach or do a training here at Gong around mutual success plans. And the moment you start collaborating on needs and other people and what a, a meeting has to look and feel like to be successful, 
you should bring up a mutual success plan. And by the way, the finish line on that plan is not signing the contract. It should be to solve for the problem that your solution addresses. Uh, tactically, every big meeting I go into, I set an upfront contract. And that's a way of telling the team my expectations. Again, that puts me in a position to drive urgency. It sounds a little something like this. Hey, look, I'm really glad we're talking here today, James. My biggest concern is that you and I might be totally aligned on what this can do for you, but I have no idea what it's going to be able to do for your executive who's sponsoring this. How can you and I carve out five or 10 minutes at the end of this call and develop a plan to, to bring that person in uh, on the next meeting? And Mail, then the last, you've, go ahead. No, go ahead. Then the last point I would make is along the way, and there could be a whole session on this, you need to make sure that you're allowing your executives to make relationships with their executives. The reason why is because at some point we may need an escalation. And if you've never developed a relationship with a key executive sponsor, it's going to be really hard. So get your C-levels to talk to their C-levels if possible, because that could be a great parachute at the end. Parachutes, all the execs on the same page at the same time. That is the suit that you want to do this sooner rather than later. And these three actions will help you get there. Uh, John, we're going to drop your LinkedIn in the chat so everybody can go and connect with you. I want to say thanks to everybody that came out today. Spending your Friday with us actually does mean something. We know that it's difficult for you to find the time. We will see you next week when we bring you more stellar guests to help you sell better. Thanks for sharing your wisdom today, John. Thanks for having me on. It was just great. Have a great day, everybody. Go get them.